morning, TLC. Good morning, TLC. Hey! Uh, I mean, thank you for sharing um, your heart with us and stepping into this calling that God has given you. It's super cool. Uh, I mean, has been a part of our church, what's it been, two years now? Year and a half-ish? And uh, um, just to see um, the trophy of grace that Amina is and uh, how that is being poured out on her uh, uh, boys as well. Um, and uh, the overflow is, uh, is coming into our church. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So thank you for that. Um, hey, uh, we're going to do something a little different today. And I know you, if you're new to our church, you're probably like really sick of me saying that because literally I think I've said that like three weeks in a row now. We're going to do something a little different today. Uh, the last two weeks in our series, we did a, more of a seminar, okay? So last week we had Dr. Burge here, Gary Burge, uh, who kind of talked about how in the world did we get the canon of Scripture, which is basically how did we get the Bible, all right? Where did these 66 books come from? Uh, the 39 of the Old Testament, the 27 of the New. Uh, did some like random dudes just like make it up out of thin air one day? Uh, the answer to that, if you were here last week, is no. Actually, it was the Word of God that God supernaturally uh, curated and brought together uh, throughout uh, history and has been with us uh, from when the earliest writings were ever made, and God has preserved those because He wants us to know what he's like and who he is and wants to be in relationship with us. And so Dr. Burge uh, went back, uh, got old school with us, academic with us, and helped us understand uh, where we got our Bible from, okay? We talked about research, uh, brought, brought us back to some of the, uh, the ways that we can see how God was preparing and preserving his word uh, all throughout time. And then two weeks ago, uh, I tried to answer the question for you, is the Bible reliable? Is it trustworthy? Are the things that it says when it speaks about history or other uh, uh, matters, is it, can I trust it? And I did my best to show you through archaeology as well as textual criticism that what we have in here, we can trust and believe that within about 99.5 or higher percent that the New Testament is accurate to the original manuscripts that were written of each of these books, and about 98% for the entire Bible. And the little pieces that we think we're not 100% sure what to do with, they're minor, they're often incredibly easy to understand uh, uh, why we might be debating them a little bit, and they have no bearing whatsoever on any major or even minor doctrines for that matter. And so uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear any of those two messages Definitely going to feel a little bit more academic, more like a, a seminar, but so, so valuable uh, for those of us who claim to follow Christ. Because the way that we follow Christ is by learning about who he is through his word as he reveals himself. What I want to do today is a workshop. Come back next week, I promise you. We'll get back to kind of, you know, normalcy of some sort. But today what I want to do is tell you how this all came about. Um, it's almost a, almost a decade ago now. I had just finished preaching a message um, 
there was a guy who always sat down front, right here, front row. Uh, his name was Mike, and uh, Mike was a, a Harley dude, uh, always rocking a leather jacket, sometimes had a black do-rag on. And uh, I had met Mike a time or two, but I don't even know if I knew his name. I know we had just said hi to each other. Well, uh, I finished a, a message, and I'm walking down off the stage, and uh, Mike came up to me. This was at a, another church that I worked at out in Holland, and Mike's like, hey, Torn, um, can I get a second of your time? I was like, yeah, man, absolutely. We start talking. He says, I've been following Jesus for like 20 years. I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. But every time that I try to, I feel so lost. I'm not sure what to read. I'm not sure where to read. I'm not sure how much to read. And then when I do, sometimes I'm just kind of confused because I'm not sure like what I'm supposed to do with it or often even what it means. And, and he said, could you help me? Could you teach me? And I was like, bruh, yes. Like, I was like, yeah, like, heck yeah. Like, that's, like, for a pastor, that's, like, they're, like, a great, awesome, like, amazing request. And so I was like, dude, I would love, Mike, to be able to, to teach you. And I was like, dude, I think it's so cool and courageous that as a dude who's been following Jesus for 20 years, you were willing to admit to another dude that you didn't know what to do. Because quite honestly, us men, we don't often like to talk about the things we don't know anything about. We only like to talk about things that we do know about. And so for him to say that, I was like, dude, that's super courageous. And I said, hit me up. Uh, let's, let's get something on the camera. Let's get together and we'll talk. He walked away. And a little bit later, I was walking back to my office and I started thinking to myself, what the heck am I going to teach this dude? I had the privilege of going to a Bible college for four years where I had entire semester-long classes that helped me learn how to do this, that helped me understand how to engage with God's word and, and, and make some sense of it. And then I, I had the privilege of going on to seminary where I had another two and a half years where I did the same thing and kept getting more and more. And, and, and then I'd had the privilege of being a pastor for, at that point, about 18 years. And I was like, and I've had so much time to like dive in. What am I going to say to Mike who has no clue, doesn't have any of that, is not, not going to most likely have the privilege to go to college for four years and, and take classes on it. What am, what am I going to say to him? And so I went back to him. I was like, dude, if you'll be a guinea pig for me, you and I, will work something out. We'll figure this out together. And I honestly, I credit Mike with a lot of even my own journey and what does it look like to help people engage with God's word? And maybe you feel a lot like Mike. You're like, man, I should know this better by now. I should know what to do. Uh, how, how, how to engage. Uh, and maybe you're like, but I have been a Christian way too long to ask somebody. <laughs> well, if that's you, this morning is for you. If you're brand new to the faith, this morning is for you. If you've been following Jesus for a really long time and you've had so many different classes and seminars on how to study the word, then this should feel like just a morning of dessert where you're like, man, this is great. I'm not learning anything new, but it's just a chance to be with God's people in God's word. Awesome. Here's one of the things that I realized. When, when Jesus really captured my heart, I was about 17-ish years old. Um, I had a youth pastor that was building into my life. Uh, and then there was this girl that I liked. And... Uh, we both said we were Christians. We both went to churches, two different churches. But I remember talking to her, and, and, and uh, she didn't swear. And I was like, that's weird. 
and she didn't like the fact that I swore, which I swore all the time at that point in my life. And she's like, that's not cool. And you look ugly when you swear. And I was like, ooh, I don't want to look ugly because I like you. And uh, so over the course of uh, a, a couple of months, I started asking myself some questions. Well, Torn, you've grown up going to church. You would call yourself a Christian, but it doesn't seem to make any difference in your life. And I finally met somebody that I thought was cool that Jesus did make a difference in her life and a youth pastor that it had obviously made a difference in his life and they're both sharing what that looks like for me and all of a sudden Jesus just started to capture my heart. Didn't happen over the course of like one moment. It was like over the course of a number of months but I started asking like, man, Jesus, if I call myself a Christian, maybe I ought to know who, what you're really like and live my life in a way that kind of represents you well because I'm probably not representing you very well right now and Jesus was like, yeah, that'd be pretty dope and I really like you, T. And I got some stuff I want to teach you and some plans that I've got for you. And I was like, ooh, really, me? And Jesus started to capture my heart, and I began to fall in love with him. And you know what happened when I fell in love with Jesus? For the first time in my life, I really did want to understand his word. I really did want to read his word. But you know what happened? I didn't, even though I'd grown up in the church, I didn't really know how. So you know what I did on the most, for the most part? I just avoided the Bible. Like, I go, like you tell me a church, tell me a youth group. But I didn't know what to do with it myself wasn't until about a year and a half later, somebody told me about devotionals. What? A devotional. They tell me what to read. They tell me all about it, and I'm good to go, okay? Devotionals are great. I still use devotionals to this day, okay? But here's what I found. I think devotionals are kind of like somebody taking the delicious meal of Scripture, right? That delicious steak and, and vegetables and the dessert, and they chew it all up in their mouth and get it into a nice puree form and then the, you open up your mouth and they spit it in. Like, it's wonderful, right? No, okay, that's a really bad way to describe devotionals. I love devotionals. I think they're actually super helpful. I actually think devotional, a better way to describe it is it's like going to a restaurant that has a chef that knows what they're doing. A chef that knows how to take different ingredients and pull them together and create a, a, a meal that you get to enjoy and it's delicious. So devotionals, that's what I think it is. But here's the deal. You should not be eating out breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day of your life. One of the things I try to teach my kids as they're growing up is how to start to feed themselves, how to make a meal for themselves, right? We start small. Here's a toaster. I already got some bread that's sliced up from the store, right? Put a piece of bread in there, drop the hammer on the toaster, a little butter, a little cinnamon sugar. No, I'm talking about I love me some cinnamon sugar, All right? We start small, but eventually I'm going to work them up to something a little bit more. Totinos, Totinos, hot pizza rolls. Get them in the oven. What do you turn it up for? How long? Right? And then maybe even you get up to like the ultimate, like where you kind of can end your life right, uh, right here, never needing to know anything more. Mac and cheese. If you know how to make mac and cheese, you can live. All right? But the goal is, of course, for my kids to learn how to make a meal for themselves how to feed themselves on the regular. And not only that, but how to make a meal that they could actually feed someone else. And I believe with all my heart that God wants you to know that too. Is it okay to go to a, a restaurant? Absolutely, all right? Chefs are important, okay? But we can begin to learn this stuff ourselves. And so this morning, what I hope is that you will walk away learning today how to make a meal of God's word for yourself. So what I'd like you to do is, it's going to be different today. You've got, we've got a, it's a worksheet, friends. Boom, right there. Everybody's got one. There's a pen next to you. Grab this bad boy. I want to talk to you about three reasons why we're doing what we're doing this morning, okay? 
What I want to teach you is so simple that if you were to simply practice this today and then practice it, uh, learn it today, I should say, and then practice it over the next few weeks, not only would you know this for the rest of your life, you would actually be able to teach other people how to do this as well. So, number one, why are we doing this? Number one, we want you to learn how to feed yourself, okay? I want you to learn how to cook a meal. You've heard the old adage, give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach a man to fish, and he eats for a lifetime, exactly. The second reason is the Bible says that it's worth studying, all right? That it's profitable or useful. The Bible says that it is worth studying. I'll give you a second to write that one down. There's a passage of scripture where, uh, actually there's a few different passages, but one in particular that we often point to uh, that says this is in 2 Timothy. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw that one up there. Listen to what it says. He's writing to Timothy. This is the Apostle Paul writing to his protege, who is a pastor at the church in Ephesus, where Paul wrote the letter, Ephesians. And he says this to Timothy. He says, Timothy, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, he says, is breathed out by God. Remember uh, Austin's illustration of who makes music? Is it Dizzy Gillespie or is it the trumpet? The answer is yes, it is both. It is God using the instrument of different uh, people in the Old and New Testament to write Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You want to get to know the one who can save your soul, that can lead you into a new life? then you got to spend time in the Word. Now, you might be saying to yourself, okay, the second reason is that the Bible says that it's worth studying. Isn't that a circular argument? Yeah, it is. Okay? It would kind of be like me standing up here and saying, yo, even though I'm 48, okay, I can still dunk a basketball. I'm seeing doubt all over the room. What's up? Okay, now, if I said I can still do it, what would you say to me? <laughs> prove it. Yeah. You'd say, prove it. You'd take me to a park that you knew had a 10-foot rim, and you hand me a ball and say, go show me, old man. And I would be like, boom. I would totally Michael Jordan, and I would dunk. No, I wouldn't. I would totally show you that, no, I'm lying. I couldn't do that. I should have used a different one where it's not a lie. But, uh, but the Bible says that it is. So how are you going to know? How are you going to know if, the, if what the Bible says is true? Prove it. The only way you're going to know is to try it out. Just like the only way you would know if I said I could dunk a basketball is to take me to a park. Let me see if I can. The only way you'll ever know if what the Bible says about itself is true is if you try it. Circular argument? Sure. But if you want to know, you've got to dive in. Third reason. It's actually a quote, one of my favorite quotes, comes from a guy that I love. His name is Charles Spurgeon, uh, died years and years and years ago. But he says this, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. What does he mean by that? It means somebody who spends so much time reading, meditating, 
highlighting, underlining, opening and closing their Bible so much that that Bible starting to fall apart, that the covers worn out, the bindings fall out, pages. Someone who's got a Bible that's falling apart usually isn't. Now, it doesn't mean that someone who is, knows God's word really well and is engaged with it for a long time isn't going to experience suffering or hardship. I promise you, they will. Every single one of us will. What I can tell you is the person who has engaged in God's word so much so that their Bible's falling apart is going to be able to weather the storms of those terrible, difficult, suffering times way more than the person who doesn't know what God's like, who doesn't understand that God is going to be with them in the midst of that storm. Over the last, it's probably been over a decade now, um, there was a church that uh, started a study and this study was called the Reveal Study, and it actually now has been uh, um, done at over 1,000 churches. Over 100,000 Christians have been a part of this study. And what they found is that the number one indicator of spiritual growth in a Christian is whether or not the person spends time with God in his word consistently. The number one indicator of spiritual growth is whether a person spends time with God and his word. Uh, our youthmen team just had the opportunity to go to a conference uh, down in Indianapolis this past week. And uh, we were talking about this this morning in our prayer time, and Adam said to me, he's like, dude, that's actually one of the things they were just talking about. Uh, they've continued to do research uh, on how uh, the next generation holds on and, and really uh, begins to own their faith. And they said that the number one indicator for that was actually whether or not uh, um, youth are actually taught how to engage with God in his word. And if they're doing that with consistency, that's one of the hallmarks, it's one of the earmarks of kids that actually uh, uh, grab, their, grab faith as their own and carry it with them uh, into adulthood. This is why I think it's so important for us to learn how to do it ourselves. And we're at an all play here. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years or if you've been a Christian for like 50 minutes. Uh, we're all going to have the privilege of kind of engaging and learning with this today. So what we're going to do, let me tell you a couple things what the Bible is not, okay? Because I think we all do bring different ideas and thoughts to it, but the Bible is not, all right, a book to master, Okay, the Bible is not a book to master, all right, like a textbook. Way too often when we think of the Bible, we think, oh, this is, this, it's like a history book or a, a sociology book or a, a, a math book or a, like, I, I need to master it, right? There's going to be a test and I got to learn it all and I got to get it all memorized. And, no, that's not what the Bible is. Now, is there great information in the Bible? Yeah, Absolutely. Great things to learn in the Bible, absolutely, but it is not a textbook for you to master. The second thing that the Bible is not is the Bible is not a book of information to collect. The Bible is not a book of information to collect. Kind of like an encyclopedia if you're my age, or Wikipedia if you're my kid's age, or chat GP if you're in college and using that to write all your papers. Shame on you, okay? Just saying. Chat GP, I'm not even going there. It's amazing, though. Way too often, though, we come to the Bible and we think of it as like, well, when I need it, I'll go and find what I need and then it'll go back on the shelf. Uh, we killed 
Thousands of trees selling encyclopedias, all right, when I was growing up. And what did an encyclopedia do? It just had interesting information that sat on a shelf, and you only went and grabbed the piece of it whenever you needed it, but for the most part, it just stayed there. But that's not what the Bible is intended to be. The last thing is that the Bible is not a box to be checked off. Not a box to be checked off. Some of us actually use the Bible as like a lucky charm, like a rabbit's foot, Okay? Where it's like, well, as long as I get some Bible in today, then I'm going to be good. God's going to be cool with me. Life's going to go well. i got to make sure that I do this. Or like it's about a, a religious uh, uh, like thing that I've got to like do, and otherwise God's not going to be happy with me. The Bible is neither a book to master, a book of information to collect, or a box to be checked off. The purpose of the Bible is to guide you into a relationship with a living God. The Bible was given to us by a person who has shared words with us and wants to share himself with us through his word. It's not about the book. Now, don't get me wrong. I value the Bible. I think it's incredibly important. We've done it in a four-week series on the Bible. But it's not about the Bible. It's about the God of the Bible. A God who wants you to know him, who wants to talk to you, who wants to guide you and give you wisdom and encouragement, tell you how much he loves you and the kind of life that he wants you to live because he knows that that's where you're going to find flourishing and all that your heart actually longs for. That's the purpose of the Bible. It's not just information, although it's got great information. It's not a book to master, but it is great to memorize it and learn from it. And it's not a box to be checked off, although it is great to spend consistent time in it, but it's about the person that you're spending time with, not the book. So, with that said, it's about a relationship. The purpose of Scripture is to guide you into a relationship with God. Relationships have two-way communication. So when you come to Scripture, don't think this is just God downloading something to you. This is supposed to be a conversation. That's why the Bible says that it's alive and active. Why? Because it's not just dead words on a dead page. It's a living God who wants to speak to you through it and wants you to interact. Yo, God, I don't get this. Yo, God, that seems a little weird. Yo, God, what's going on here? Help me out. There's a conversation that's taking place when we come to Scripture because we're interacting with a person, not a book. Number two. Relationships assume that you spend time with a person. You cannot have a best friend that you never see or talk to. They are not your best friend. Relationships assume that we're spending time with a person. Communicating, sharing our hearts, our dreams, our disappointments. Number three, relationships are not static but growing. They're growing. And now, here's the thing. They can grow one of two ways. I have some friends in college, uh, one in particular that I would have said at that time was my best friend. I haven't talked to him in well over a decade. Guess what? My relationship with him is growing, but in the wrong way. Okay? Here's the thing. Relationships never stay static. They're either going one way or they're going the other. My relationship with my buddy in college, he's still a friend. And if all of a sudden we wound up in the same city and started hanging out together and talking more, I could grow that relationship back to health, to depth. But it does require two-way communication, spending time together, and a recognition that it's going one way or the other. The more you invest in God by spending time with him, the more you're going to understand his voice. 
understand his will, know what he sounds like. Because it's not about pages in a book, it's about the God. I want to say that over and over again so that you hear it. If my mom was standing off stage back there and she yelled my name, I would instantly know that's my mom. And I'd be like, that's weird. Why is my mom calling my name? I'm in the middle of a sermon. But I would know it's my mom. Why? Because I've heard my mom say my name so many times. I know what her voice sounds like. The more we spend time with God in his word, the more we get to know what his voice sounds like. So when you're driving down the road and you all of a sudden get this weird thought in your head, you'll be able to recognize, wait, wait, is that just me? Oh man, no, that sounds like God. When you're walking the hallway in your high school and you get this like thought in your head about that person standing over there and you're like, dude, that's weird. And you're like, yeah, that's definitely not me. I wouldn't say that. Oh, that must be the voice of God. Yes, we begin to know because we've, heard what his voice sounds like more and more and then we get to act on it you see God's interested in relationship that's why we've been given this not so that we can master it and be done with it and be like yay I arrived no so that we can have a relationship with a God who loves us all right so here's what we're going to do this morning I want to teach you what I taught Mike what Mike and I actually kind of figured out together and then we're going to practice it so here we go we call it the loop method it's a, not a great name because we also have the local loop. And so we're going to change that. But local loop for sure staying this, I don't care what you call it. All right? This is just a way to interact with God. Now, I want to start off by saying right in the middle is the most important thing. You see what we did there? A little coffee table, two chairs, some coffee, right? You know what it says? Relate. This is about a relationship. All right? You see right there, it says Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instruction. That was a prayer that King David had to God about the Bible. King David was like, hey God, I want to spend some time with you in your word. I want to do it with you. So can you help me understand this? You ever feel like you come to scripture and I'm like, man, God, I don't, I don't like really quite get this. Well, pray, ask him. The Holy Spirit that's been given to you, wants to illuminate, wants to help guide you, wants you, are you going to understand everything right away? No, but we start with a prayer, a recognition. I'm not just spending time with a book. I'm spending time with a person. We'll talk more about that. So we start there. We pray, God, I'm here to meet with you. And then what we do is we, top right corner, read. Okay? Read. What do I see? Top right corner. Read, what do I see? So we're going to read the passage twice. We're going to focus on the obvious people, places, ideas, repetition. We're making observations. So read it once. Then the second time that you read it, just start writing down little observations. These are straight up observations right from the text. You're not making anything up. You're not even interpreting yet. You're not asking the question, what do I think this means? You're just simply writing down, what do I observe? What's it saying? All right, read, that's the first one. Then you drop down to reflect, reflect. What does it mean? What are the implications? So you start off with observations. Now we start asking, what do I think this means? So you start writing down some ideas. God, it seems like you're saying this. What are you teaching me? What do I think it meant to maybe the original audience? What are some of the implications of this for me, for my life? Then you go over to the respond. Okay, read, reflect, respond. What's the one thing I'm reasonably sure God wants me to do with this? Could be something he wants you to do, could be something he wants you to learn, could be something he wants you to remember. 
but you're simply responding because, again, this is not just some activity you're doing. This is a relationship that you're having with God. Read, reflect, respond. And then the very last one is review because I realized after I did it that that makes it all alphabetical. Oh, yeah, that's pretty dope, right? Come on. Uh, but Austin was like, yeah, but I don't think review is the best. I think we should say remember. And I was like, no, shut up. That's not alphabetical anymore. But you might say remember because that probably is a better way. What did God say? What was he doing? How do I remember? So that's why we call it kind of the loop method. You're just kind of looping back, okay? When you come to God's word, you read it, make some observations, and you reflect on it, what I think it means, and then you respond. God, what do I think you want me to do with this? And then the next day, you review it. Remember it. What did I do? What was I supposed to do? How did it go? So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to practice. We're going to do this quickly. We're only taking 15 minutes to do it. You can take 15 minutes to do it as well, but today you're going to do it with God and a partner, okay? So everybody has to have at least a partner. If not, uh, you, can, you can do twos or threes. No more than three, no less than two, all right? So this is what we're going to do. A lot of times people are like, all right, T, um, but I never know where to read. All right, well, I'm going to help you out with that. We're going to start today in the Gospel of Mark. You will need a Bible. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got folks that are going to walk down and give you a paper Bible. If you want to use the app on your phone, uh, the Bible app, which is also known as YouVersion app, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N, you can grab that, pull it out, but you will need a Bible this morning, okay? We're going to start in Mark chapter 1 this morning. Mark chapter 1. You will notice in the NIV or the NLT or the ESV or whatever you happen to use that it will lay it out with um, headlines where it will break up sections. A lot of times people say, I don't know where to start and I'm not sure how much to read. So here's what I'm going to recommend to you. Very simple way because all these translations do this. You will find that it's broken up with a heading. Okay, so we're going to read verses 1 through 8 this morning because... That's a broken up section. You see it says the heading is John the Baptist prepares the way. That is not scripture. All right? That is just a heading that some uh, men and women put in the translation so that we would kind of understand how kind of chunks of it are. Then you see the next one is verses 9 through 13. That's the next section. So you might do that the next day. And then verse 14 and 15. Normally I'd say don't spend, you know, like, do a few verses at a time. That's two verses. All right, super, you know, a small enough chunk, you can totally do that. Uh, if you're not sure how much to read, that will help you know how much to read. Here's what we're going to do today, though. We're going to practice this in your twos or threes, and I'm going to give you, not very long, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Get in your group, read the passage twice. So read it once. Then the second time through, I want you to start jotting down some notes. You see on the back here, all right, you've got read reflect, respond, all right, I'm giving you space for it, and I'm going to ask you to come up with five observations from verses one through eight, five observations. Now, let me give you one observation, okay, because I want you to realize how dummy-proof this is, all right? One observation would be, Mark wrote this. Boom, right there, this is the, like, this is the gospel of Mark, Okay? That's an observation. That would be one of your five. You might also say uh, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. All right, they're talking about Jesus the Messiah. 
Another observation, okay? It's literally just what's in there. I want five observations, and I'm going to call on a couple of groups this morning. Austin's going to help me out by running around with a microphone, and uh, we're going to learn together. So I'm going to give you about, this one's probably about five minutes because, four minutes, because you're going to actually have to read. So go ahead, get into your group, and read Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Give me five observations. Keep working together. One small little tidbit. Sometimes reading two different translations can be helpful. You don't need to right now, but just know that that's something you can do. Going to give you about another uh, 90 seconds, about a minute and a half. If you haven't started writing observations, you can start writing them. Remember, you're not interpreting yet. You're not asking what it means, just what does it say? What does it say? All right. I'm going to pull you back. Now, uh, are you feeling a little rushed? Yes. Good. You should, because I'm rushing you. And that's okay, because remember, oh, man, I did it again this service, and I forgot. Before we were supposed to start in, I was supposed to say, all right, now, before you start, don't forget to just invite God into this moment, because you're doing it with him. And I forgot at the nine, and I did it again, right here. Did anybody remember? It was like, oh, yeah, I prayed, at least in your head. No, okay, yeah, I'm a terrible teacher. So sorry. All right, so uh, um, we're going to get a microphone going over here. Uh, the point of this, though, remember, is not about did I check all the boxes? Did I do read, reflect, respond? Did I get five observations? It's really about am I spending time with God? Am I here to be with him? Okay, and so I'm going to ask uh, my group right over here, uh, Callie and the gals, can you guys give me one observation that you guys came up with? One observation. Um, one of the young ladies in my group observed that they were in the Judean countryside. Oh, dang, that's a good observation. Yeah, all right, they're in the Judean countryside. Well done. Perfect. All right, I'm going to come back to uh, my guys back here, GV. What do we got? Uh, me and Eric noticed that the messenger Isaiah was talking about is John the Baptist. Oh, dang, that's good stuff. Right there, those are just straight observations, okay? If I was going to come up with some more observations, I would probably say uh, there's two main characters that they're talking about, Jesus and John the Baptist. I might say Jesus is the Messiah, and then I might say, what does that mean? All right? Uh, I might say, John seems weird, because he does. Homeboy's eating locusts, okay? Uh, that, that, oh, that's weird, all right? Those are just observations. You're just going through, and you're paying attention to what's there. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to move into the next phase, which is uh, the reflection. So now I'm starting to ask some interpreting questions. What do I think this means? What do I think it meant to the original hearers? What do I think it means for me today? We're going from observations to implications. What does this mean? I'm going to give you a couple minutes for this, and what I'd like you to do is come up with three, two or three uh, uh, reflection notes, all right? Two or three implications for what you think this means. This is going to be based off of your observation and the reading, and remember, you're doing this with God. So ask him, God, what? What am I supposed to hear from this? What am I supposed to get from this? What do you want me to understand? Go ahead, I'm going to give you about two minutes, uh, two and a half minutes for that. Talk about it with your groups too. 
All right, I'm going to start to pull you back together. It's okay if you're feeling rushed. The nice thing about this when you're spending time with God, you can take as much time or as little time as you have because the point is not what you get through. The point is uh, who you get to be with. And so if you're feeling a little rushed this morning, that's okay. Uh, You should feel a little rushed because for most of you, this is probably the very first time that you've ever done this. And so you're learning something new. And every time you're learning something new, it always takes a little bit longer. You're kind of figuring it out. So it's totally normal and and, and should feel that way. We've got another group over here. Uh, one of the Tabrock Colin Tabrock rocks. Uh, Colin. I'm speaking because I'm the only one that can. Um, <laughs> but um, me and my siblings talked about how God always provides a direction. Ooh, that's a great reflection. God provides direction. That's per- perfect. So good. That's great. You're taking what you read, your observations, and now you're applying it. And saying, oh, I can see how God wants to provide direction. That's so good. All right, who else do we have? All right, we got Joey standing here in the back. All right, Joey. So John's physical description of him being a, like, kind of a vagrant that lives in the wilderness um, kind of drives home the, the point that he makes at the end of the passage where he says, I am not worthy. Um, I think it's like a contrast between, like, Jesus's holiness and purity and, like, our you know, earthly uncleanliness and our, um, like our mission to point towards Jesus in that direction. Dude. Yes. That's a great implication. That's I, I, so I was working on some, well done guys. Really, really good. When I was working on this passage, uh, I had something kind of, um, similar. God is coming near. Am I ready? That's just a really short implication. Uh, um, Jesus is powerful. That's that, that comes from, well, write out what it says there, but also the fact that like what John says, man, I baptize with water, but he baptizes with the spirit. I'm not even worthy to like untie his sandals. And John was like a dog, right? John was like, he was that dude, all right? People were flocking to him, a prophet, powerful. And yet he says, I'm not, I'm not even worthy. Wow, that's, that's telling me some things too. Well done. That's very, very good. Okay, so now what we're going to do is so we're going to move the last couple of minutes. Uh, I'm going to give you only about a minute and a half for this one um, into the reflection, all right? Reflection. What's one thing, just one, that you are reasonably sure God wants you to do or learn or remember, okay? One thing that you're reasonably sure God wants you to do with what you just read. All right. How many of you were able to come up with at least one observation? One observation? Okay, pretty much looks like almost everybody. How many of you came up with at least one reflection? Okay, how many of you have been able to come up with one uh, response? Just one response. All right, congratulations. Some of you just made your very first meal. Okay? Now, it may not be the most delicious meal you ever eat, okay? But you made a meal, and I'm super proud of you. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, two people to share uh, real briefly uh, what their ref- uh, um, response was. So go ahead and, uh, Ben or Chelsea, go ahead. Okay, perfect. Um, so one of our reflections that we went through so, was... No, sorry, yeah, your yeah, response. I, I, oh, oh, I feel like I need a little there. context. I got you, I got you. <laughs> um, we, we recognized that John was preaching about repentance of sins, and then 
that God will forgive us. It's not something he holds over our heads. So our response for this week is to recognize our shortcomings and bring them to God and know that he will forgive us for those things. Let's go. Well done. You even explained, too, the content, like how you got to where you got. That's awesome. That's a fantastic response to that text. Great meal. Delicious. All right, one more right over here. Um, one of our responses uh, was, as a follower of Christ, we are called to step into relationship with the Holy Spirit um, because that's what he baptizes us with. Ah, oh, so good. So good. Well done, guys. Man, y'all are making some delicious. We got some chefs up in here. Look, God wants to interact with you through his word. And I know at times it can feel overwhelming and that you can't do it on your own, but that is a lie. That is a lie from the evil one who would like to keep you away from the most valuable resource you have, God's word that helps us interact with God himself. You are not interacting with a book. You are interacting with a person. And it is his desire to know you, to guide you and encourage you and teach you. And he loves to do that more than anything else. Did you know that you're his favorite? Like for real. You are his favorite. And he can't wait to spend time with you. Um, there's a book as we close uh, that I read a long time ago called Blue Like Jazz by this guy named Donald Miller. And in the book, uh, he's uh, writing about a friend of his um, who has uh, just really started to discover uh, the Bible and is beginning to really uh, read it. She's known about it for a long time, but has really been diving into it. And she wrote uh, Don a letter, and she said this. She said, uh, Don, the Bible is so good with chocolate. I always thought the Bible was more of a salad thing, you know, but it isn't. It's a chocolate thing. And I thought, man, that's exactly what I hope you walk away with today. I know way too often we, we kind of see the Bible as like, oh, it's the salad. It's like the thing you've got to get through. And what I'm here to tell you is that the Bible is not a salad thing, unless you like love salads and that's all you eat. That's great. Like then it's a salad thing for you. But for most of us, it's a chocolate thing. It's decadent and rich and beautiful and wonderful because it's not a book, it's a person who longs to interact with you. And friends, when we interact with God's word together, we begin to see how Jesus loves us and cares for us and we begin to be transformed. And I want so desperately for my heart to still be, keep being transformed by God and his word. And I want that for you. And I know that if we do this together as a church, God will not only transform us individually, but will transform us collectively. And we will be able to go after the mission that he's called us to. And oh, friends, there are people that are just hungering to know what God is truly like. So let's be people of the chocolate, people of the word together. Guys, I love you. I've loved this series in the Bible. It is the number one indicator of whether someone is growing spiritually. Let's be a place where we grow. I'll see y'all next Sunday. We're kicking off a brand new series. It's gonna be so good. See you then.